You're listening to the Pure Fury Creations Entertainment Network. The views and opinions expressed on this episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or philosophies of the PFC Entertainment Network or any of the affiliates that make this show possible. This show has also been rated M for mature audiences only. Everybody, welcome to Shh, We Don't Talk About That here on the PFC Entertainment Network. I'm Jason Klaus, and I'm being joined by the actual hosts of the show. The reason why you tune into this each and every time a new episode drops. Uh, two lovely ladies, two very intelligent ladies, and uh, very important parts of, of this presentation. Along with Joanna Barnes and Natalie George, we welcome you to the show. Joanna, let's start with you. <laughs> How are we doing today? I know we are in the midst of this weather winter storm gimmick that's got the uh, this part of our state um, in fits at this point. But be that as it may, it's good to see you. How's good things? You. How's things going? Oh, I'm uber prepared, calm, and focused. <laughs> Clearly, clearly. I mean, that that resonates across the screen. I don't mind telling you. (laughs) And Natalie, it's good to see you back on the air, dear. How are things in your neck of the woods? You know, a little cold and snowy, but other than that, things are great. Good, good. Looking forward to another good broadcast here this week. And uh, with that being said... Uh, I will turn this over to you guys, and hey, I'm here pushing buttons if needed. So, Joanna, what are we talking about this week? Well, this week we have what we've been promising for for last week, but I messed up my dates. So, it was, um, uh, we are going to talk about a couple, it's going to be like a two-part episode, kind of. So, we're going to first talk about how do you find a therapist? How do you find the therapist for you, the right therapist? How do you know what kind of therapist to find? And then the second part is going to be, how do you know what kind of therapy you might need? Because sometimes, you know, the right therapist doesn't match up with the right therapy. And you have to figure out that, oh, like I need a different type of therapy. Like I love my therapist, but maybe I'm not, maybe I've, I've maxed out with them and I need to find a new therapy. 
And so we're going to talk about that and, and counseling too, versus that of maybe it's time to just go to counseling instead of therapy or whatever. So we're going to kind of delve deep into it and let people give people a, a little bit of a guide guidebook. I think Natalie's going to talk about her professional aspect and I'm just going to give my uh, anecdotal experiences. So, so valuable. Kind of bringing everybody back up to speed here, Joanna. Um, at what age did you first sit into a a therapy session? What's what's your er earliest memory of that? I remember going to therapy very like I think it might have been somewhere around four because my mother IQ had me IQ text tested, and it's like four or five. I I have the paperwork somewhere. She made a big deal about it. Um, and, uh, it, because I had scored, you know, high and she, and, and that was very important to her, like numbers, my intelligence, things that were quantifiable. Um, but I think I was quite a precocious child. Um, and <clears throat> by then I had probably started to experience some of the repercussions of some of my environment. And so was starting to maybe act out and maybe I was being taken there I'm not sure she doesn't talk you know my mother and I don't have a relationship at all so I can't ask her but when we did I she didn't talk about any of this stuff I have memories of going and talking to a therapist like bouncing and playing like doing the uh as Natalie Natalie knows when you do with kids it's play more than it is talking therapy you do play and, and stuff I remember doing that but it wasn't for a long period um to my knowledge because I wasn't in it you know like for years, I went out and then I think back in my, I think in my teens was when I was back in again in my late teens. Interesting. Because, um, you know, this, this is part of what makes you tick, right? I mean, this is a very big part of big your part, story. Yeah. And this is what laid kind of the foundation of ultimately of what this show would become. Natalie, she said something you know, therapy versus counseling. And I'm sure we're, we're going to get into this deeper as we, we progress here in, in the conversation. But in a nutshell, can you explain to the listeners or to the viewers who are watching us on YouTube, what is the, the fundamental difference between therapy and counseling? So counseling is more day-to-day -day problems. So I'm struggling with this problem this week. Let's talk about it, get some advice. I'm struggling with this problem next week. Let's talk about it, get some advice. So more of the day-to-day -day stuff where therapy digs down deep underneath all the problems or your core beliefs or feelings about yourself, um, trauma-related issues, big incidents that's happened in your life. Um, so you go to counseling if you just kind of want some check-ins, some help, some guidance, some directions. You'll go to therapy if you want to really dig deep and figure out why you are the way that you are and how you can change those things about yourself long term. Couldn't have asked for a better explanation, to be honest with you. I mean, that's pr pretty cut and dry. You know, that's something that everybody can can relate to. Yeah. Uh, Joanna, back to you real quick. You know, we... You kind of laid out here, you know, we're talking about finding a therapist or finding a different kind of therapy. You said at a very early age, you started having memories of going to, to sessions like this. At what point or what was 
the first sign that what whatever you may have been doing at that time in terms of therapy wasn't working for you and a change of 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 action had to take place what's uh what well i i wasn't engaging in the therapy (laughs) i wasn't doing the work so that had a lot to do with it because i was convinced i didn't need it nobody explained to me why i was there what I was doing there, why I was, why I needed to be there, why I needed help, why they were trying to assist me, what behaviors they were trying to assist me with. I was just labeled the bad kid and sent to therapy about it. And um, they expected me to kind of figure out what I needed to talk about or what I needed to work out. And that's just not how it works when you're a kid, especially one who's been traumatized and told, you're, you know, shut up, you're stupid, whatever. I mean, Natalie had some experience around my household. Um, She was around some of the toxicity and the angst and the anger. And and that was just for a small snapshot. So that gives her a, a window into me that's a little different than everybody else where she, you know, she and I can have these in-depth conversations, but for me to convey it to the, to the listener without getting into super details is really difficult. Um, but the biggest part was, you know, just like, I wasn't, I didn't know how to engage in the therapy. I didn't know that why I needed it. And it wasn't until I finally made the decision that I needed to do something about it, that I needed to make a change. And I had enough respect for therapy, probably because of the therapy I had done with my children, not for me, but because of court ordered stuff with, with their dad and things like that. And I, we had a great therapist with them and that really helped um, change my perception of what therapy could do for you. So once I had that, then I was able to look at it in a broad, more broad aspect and revisit the possibility of maybe therapy could work for me. And then I went to that one therapist who was terrible, got scared away again, and then went back again. Like it was still, I, I, had, to, I had to get to a point where I was convinced that I was ready and willing to do the work, even when it got hard or uncomfortable or complicated or difficult or whatever, or I got scared. Very interesting. Now, you got scared away from it yeah, because of a less than ideal situation. Right. So I can only imagine, kind of talk me through this if, if you can, uh, what kind of internal strength did, did it take for you to actually feel like you could open back up to a therapist or a counselor or something like that? I would imagine... It's that not it strength, took a, man. Uh, it's desperation. It's not strength. It's desperation. You are so desperate at that point. You're so, I mean, I was at least. I was at the point that I was either going to go get help or I was going to kill myself. Because I could not live with the shame. I couldn't live with the loathing. I couldn't live with who I was anymore. And I didn't know how to be any different. Nobody had ever taught me, and I didn't know how to undo the, these all of these really toxic, critical behaviors that I had, that I had learned from people that had trained me for a really long time. And then also, you learn these behaviors, too, by trying to get people's attention, by trying to get people to notice you. And it was actually me calling uh, 
Jen, me calling her and just bawling and sobbing to her, Nat, about my daughter and my mom and my sister and and all of these relationships and her getting drained and finally saying, you know, I've been seeing this therapist and I remember thinking, man, if if Jen will go to this person, they must be somebody fantastic. And that was kind of what me led me down the road. But I didn't have, I wish I'd have had the knowledge and guidance like that you personally have, Natalie, because if I'd have had, you talked about like you used, I remember in your first um, episode, you talked about because of your training, you knew where to go and what to look for. And I didn't have any of that. Mine was all shoot it at the, the you know, shoot a dart at the wall and hope that you hit the, the board, much less a bullseye. I just so happened with my therapist to hit a bullseye. And then he sent me to the EMDR therapist that I ended up with and I hit another bullseye. But I had to get to that point of willing to do the work. But our stories are very different in how we found therapists and how we decided to go down that road. Like I got to a point where I was so desperate that I knew I didn't have a choice. You were different in your reasoning too. So I think everybody comes to a different reason you know, why they go to therapy. But for me, that's what it was, was survival. It was not about strength. I didn't feel strong at all. It took a really long time for me to see myself as strong, a really long time. That was going to be my follow-up question. You know, how long did it take for you to get in the mindset from desperation over to strength? I mean, at this point, or at that point, I mean, do, did you embrace the fact that it took some some degree of internal strength to, to be able to put yourself back in that environment? No, you know what, what did it? It's funny. It was a meme. I saw a meme on Facebook and I wish I had saved it. It said something about a therapist. It was a story basically of a therapist talking about somebody with, and I might get a little emotional when I talk about it, but a therapist talking about somebody with depression. And that they had gone through, you know, they 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 fight and they struggle and they um, they go through all of this work and they go through all these hurdles and these battles and these cuts and you just are end up crawling and bleeding across the floor and you finally get to their door and you are just whimpering and begging and you're beating on the door and you're saying, please, please just give me a stick. Please give me a stick. I just need something to help me survive. I just need something to help me get through this. And that therapist's strength of seeing you come there, begging for help, where I saw it as weakness. I was so weak, I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't help myself. I I couldn't fix it on my own. So I saw it as weakness. And it wasn't until I viewed it in that way. My therapist had told me a few different ways, but I, it was reading it that way that I was like, that's what I'm doing because I was deep in it, in the hole at that time. And I was begging for a stick. You know, a lot of this, I don't have a tremendous amount of, of experience in personally. Like I, I know, I know of people who have dealt with a lot of different bouts of adversity on all the levels for sure. But to be able to, to sit here right now, and and all you know all this time later Joanna and, and to see how it still affects you um you know this is the kind of thing that resonates with people and this is the kind of thing that this show is so important for because 
somebody else is going to hear this and they're going to they're going to be able to to relate to a lot of the emotion, maybe not the exact specifics as to what they had gone through versus what you had gone through, but just the overall feeling of of the desperation and all of the emotions that that come into play here. Natalie, when you sit down with a client in in your realm of work, do you um do you see things like this unfold? I, I mean, I'm sure you do, but and I don't you don't need to go into specifics, but when you are talking with somebody and all of a sudden during the midst of a conversation, the floodgates open and the emotions start coming out. Does that change your approach with that individual and how individualized is it? Because a lot of people have a preconceived notion that there is, for the lack of a better term, a script that folks like you follow in terms of trying to help or communicate with, with somebody that needs some sort of help or guidance. How individualized is that? I can, obviously, I can't speak on behalf of all the mental health professionals out there. Um, but for me, every, every single person gets their own version of me. And what I mean by me is I need to figure out how to best work with them. So that's based on maybe some questions I ask them, how I get to know them, what their humor's like, what their darkness is like, because then that tailors what I'm doing with them for them specifically. So not every single client gets the exact same cookie cutter version of me. First, that's impossible because I can't be a cookie cutter because I'm not. But I look at each person as an individual and it's like, okay, how can I best help them get to where they want to go? And what route will I take to help them get there? If that makes sense. No, it makes, makes, makes total sense. Because I've heard several times from several different people how they have gone into somebody's office to have a discussion and they came out of it feeling like, they were just a number or that, you know, they, they weren't being like, they were listening, but they weren't being heard. You, right. you see what I'm saying? So it's, it's interesting to me to figure out what, di what people's experiences have been. And much like what Joanna went through, you know, they, they get to a point to where this isn't working. This isn't helping. And in an environment that you that you go to in order to seek so, some sort of help or guidance, they wind up walking out feeling worse than they did when, when they walked in. Now, Joanna, um, you know, the, the, the premise of this is finding a therapist and or finding a different kind of therapy. Now, what what? Do you, what would you say is, I don't want to say the criteria or the checklist, but what is a couple of things that people should take into consideration when looking for a therapist? Well, and I'm going to have a different list than Natalie for sure. Um, but the first thing that I looked into was my insurance. What, what, what therapists are covered by under my insurance? Um, 
And if there aren't any that are covered under my insurance, then the next thing I looked into was charitable, charitable organizations to find out, did they have any kind of therapy that was uh, recommended or attached like Catholic social services or um, is it Catholic social services? Is that what it, I think that's what it's called. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, uh, they offer therapy and it's not as religious based as people think it is. I at my therapy is through Renewed Hope, which is sponsored by Crossroads, which is a church. Um, my therapist is a psychologist, but he's also a pastor. We can talk about religion if we want to, but we don't ever have to talk about it. Um, we it's tailored to me just like Natalie does. And it's he does that for all of his clients. If there's somebody that was an atheist that wanted to come see him, he would still see them. If there's somebody that is uh, Jewish that wanted to come see him, them, he would still see them. So it's not, it's not tailored that way. But that's one of the ways that I looked at was what organizations, because they worked on a sliding scale. And for me, it was money. That was my first concern was how could I afford it? And then was going to be after that, what I had to figure out what area were they in? Like, I didn't know how to figure out what kind of therapist I needed or what type of therapy or any of that. That's why I want to do this podcast and have Natalie give her pointers because I don't know or didn't know until I know now. But um, it's not the same perspective as a professional, the same tips as a professional would give. Because like I said, mine was all like money-based. And <laughs> where can I, you know, how, how close are they to me? And what hours are they? And that's not the best way to choose a therapist. <laughs> but isn't that in, isn't that a telltale sign of the problem that we have here in this country in terms oh. of health care, not just Absolutely. physical health? It's endemic but. of, the, of our, uh, the problems in our health care system. And the problem, and let's be clear too, we do not treat mental health the same way that we treat medical health. But we acknowledge across the board medical and mental health, that they are connected and that your mental health does affect your physical health and that your physical health can affect your mental health. And all of it is this crazy wheel. We acknowledge all of that, but it's still not, I mean, that's not what, our, we don't have a health care system, then we have a reactive care system, but that's a different podcast. True story. Now, Natalie, when somebody is looking for help, when somebody is looking or, you know, they have come to the realization by one way or the other, either they're being told or they just they get to a point to where they have conceded to the fact that they can't do it on their own. And Unless it's court ordered, it doesn't matter how much you tell somebody, they will never go. <laughs> right. But for somebody that does reach a certain point of. Right of desperation you have you know. to or acceptance or whatever yeah right now what is i don't i i, I don't want to say checklist but what do and aside from insurance and things of this nature what people can afford but if somebody is coming like just going to open up a browser to look for therapists or therapy what should be the things that they should be <laughs> looking for to make sure that it's something on the up and up and it's it's legit that's an excellent question 
and a lot of people will do that. They'll just kind of open up and type in like counseling in Royal Oak or wherever their area is. Um, and then from there, there can be a floodgate of options available. Um, and then there's differences between some of the organizations that offer like sliding scale services or that are connected to like Medicaid services um, or even Medicare services. There's also these new types of formats that have come out like BetterHelp um, and Therapy Nest and whatever the other ones are that I can't think of off the top of my head that are just based on the internet. So like you download an app and you're literally texting your counselor and your counselor's texting you back. Sometimes you can pay for the upgraded package and get to see your counselor face to face for maybe a half hour, but it's not the same level of depth as continuously seeing someone. Um, one of the big ones that I've always like encouraged people to use for good and bad reasons is psychology today. Like psychology today has a list of every yes. clinician person out there um, that is supposedly accepting and taking clients. The downside is that it costs us money every single month to be a part of psychology today. So sometimes we don't want to be a part of psychology today. So we kind of deactivate our profile. So now you can't find us anymore. Um, another downside is that you'll get all these people. You'll be able to see their picture. Some will have like a little video upload that kind of talks a little bit about who they are and their type of therapy. But it'll give you like a little introduction about them. It'll tell you what their insurances are, what their fees are, what their hours are, and how to contact them, um, which is fantastic. Another downside is that for every 10 people that you reach out to, two might actually get back to you, which is a problem in my field. Um, for me, every single person that reaches out, whether I have availability or not, I'm responding to them within 24 to 48 hours, regardless. Because that pissed me off when I was trying to find somebody and I'm like, but it says here you're accepting new clients on your website and now you're not, but you didn't even bother to let me know. Like, it's just, it's rude. Like, I consider it to be rude. Um, but that's one of the better places to find um, therapists because it'll give you a lot more information about them. Um, psychologists are on there, social workers are on there, marriage and family um, therapists are on there individual children, like all the ones. It'll list a lot of the trainings that we have, a lot of the types of therapy that ideally we're supposed to put on there that we specialize in or that we have an extensive amount of training in. Some will list 2,700 different types of therapy that they do. That's not really their specialty. So then from there, you're like, okay, well, I want someone that specializes in anxiety. So then you're able to kind of um, use the filters in there to specialize for anxiety or for someone that maybe is a Jewish therapist or someone that does work with the LGBTQIA plus community. Like you're able to tailor make your filter to find some people that will potentially be the best fits for you. And then from there, my biggest thing is do they offer a free consultation? If they're not offering a free consultation and they want you to pay up front for your intake and not even kind of get to know you to really see one, like, I want to know, if I, am I even a fit for what your concerns are? Am I going to be the best match for you? Um, and then are you going to be the best fit for what I can do? 
like so that's helpful to have that almost like the interview stage if you will you're not just going to go and get a job automatically like you're going to have to interview for that job same thing you should be able to interview your counselors your therapists all of them to make sure that they're going to be the best fit for you whether you're paying all out of pocket whether it's just a copay for your insurance or whether you're not paying a dime because your insurance covers it you still don't want somebody that's not going to be the most helpful for you so that's one of the other big pieces um, that I always try to help people connect with in order to find the best person for them. How much dam? How much additional damage, Natalie, have you seen or that you've heard when you when you've talked to people who have come to you that they were in a in a different scenario or a situation that wasn't a good fit for for them? Do you find yourself, if this individual comes to you and says, I was talking to so-and-so, this did not work out, it created another layer of issues, do you find yourself having to, for the lack of a better term, clean up the mess for somebody else? Does that happen a lot? Sometimes. um, Because I'll always ask, have you ever done therapy or counseling before? Like, I want to know that. And some of my clients, bless their hearts, are like, nope, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. And I'm like, great. Then nobody has kind of set you up for failure to this point. And hopefully, maybe Jesus willing, I also do not set you up for failure. But I will have some that was like, I've had a really bad experience and it was terrible. So I always ask them first, can you tell me what was helpful? What was beneficial? Like, you're already telling me it was a negative experience, but did you get anything positive out of it first? Um, And then they'll say whatever positive things that they got out of it. I haven't had anybody say nothing. Like, from start to finish, it was god-awful, terrible nightmare. And then I say, okay, then what wasn't helpful? Like, I don't want to know. Like, I want to know what was done, but I need to know more what was not helpful. Because then that helps me. Okay, it's not helpful if my therapist is cussing up a storm. Great. I let my clients know right off the bat, potty mouth. If that's a problem, just let me know. I can use all the grown-up words. Um, So knowing what wasn't helpful then helps me better understand, like, okay, is that something I do? Is that something I not do? So that I'm able to kind of see, well literally seven out of the 10 things that they listed that weren't helpful is something that I do, whether it's they gave too much homework or they talked too much or they didn't talk enough or they just consistently asked me, well, how does that make you feel? Like all of those things. I want to know how those things impacted you. And then just through kind of building that rapport for the first like three or four sessions or longer, getting them to feel more comfortable with me and my style, but then also them for me, them and their style so that once they're really ready to start doing the work they feel a lot more comfortable and they feel a lot more safe in the process i always tell them you do not have to trust me 100 you do not have to trust me you don't even have to like me my hope is that you will trust that i know what i'm doing in order to help you get to where you need to go and if at any point you feel like you cannot let me know 
I will help find somebody else that might be a better fit for you. Joanna, you raised your hand. Wow. I just was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm one of your people who would be like, z zero help with that woman, the one who fell asleep on me or whatever was happening to her. I don't remember anything because it, it impacted me so much. And it made me feel like it, there was some, and that was me, that was a me problem. Let's be clear. I've said that before. I should have found out. I should have contacted her, let her know that that happened. We should have had a follow-up. I just ran away. I didn't even tell her that it had happened. For all I know, she had a medical condition. I have no idea. Um, but I don't remember anything positive from any, I only went to her like five, 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 four or five times. So it's not like I had a lot of time to build. We were still in kind of background, you know, story. But yeah, that was one of those times. I, I would have been one of yours where like absolutely nothing, nothing. She scared me away from it for a while. So Natalie, if you were to hear that from somebody else that, that you didn't know, what would be your first course of action? Is it to, is, is it important to establish first and foremost a sense of, or to let these people know that you are in a safe space here, or is it diving into, I mean, just going right, right at them. Okay. What is the problem? Or is it to establish that overall feeling of comfort or that you care? I mean, I, I can see where, you know, one kind of ties into the, the other. But is there a priority on how you address this when you are met? If you were to be met with something like what she's saying, it was all shit. And the, uh, the easy answer is it depends which is definitely not easy because it's like, okay, if Joanna were to come to me and obviously we didn't know each other and she had said that, then I would validate her concerns and be like, that sounded terrible. Like I can't even, I can't even begin to understand the level of discomfort and invalidation you felt. And like, without asking, how did that make you feel? Because I really hate that question. So I try to ask it in a much different way. Right. Um, but like letting her know, like, I get it. I get it. And then it would, then I would kind of want to know what's most important to you in a therapist. So for, if it was Joanna coming to me, it's more, not necessarily about making her feel safe yet because she's not safe. Clearly she's not safe. Can't dive into anything yet because she's not even safe enough to get to that place yet. So what do you need from me? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. um, going to be both most beneficial are what are you looking for yeah like asking just getting to know her questions without diving deep which 100 she can leave the session and be like that was a freaking waste of my time but she wasn't a dick so i'm gonna go back i'm gonna try again because it happens it happens like a lot of times people want immediate results and right. we can't That's kind of what happened the first session i was like that was a fucking waste yeah. but he was nice so i'll go back exactly. that's that's kind of exactly what happened yeah keeps him coming in the door like all right well, let me give him another shot let me give him another shot and then as like we're able to build on our now professional relationship 
to where it gives them a level of like, okay, I'm being heard. Because a big thing for me is, was for me when I was going through therapy too, but also for my clients, like, are you going to remember what I said last week and this week? Yes. Now get out there and see if you remember it. So I take notes. I don't take like tons and tons of notes once I get to know a client because then they're all stored in the file folder that is now my brain. Um, So sometimes I have to rifle through that file folder and be like, how's, wait, how's your daughter? Because I might have almost said, how's your son? Because then my brain's like, nope, wrong person. Got to open the file folder again. Um, but the more I'm able to remember each session about what was said in previous sessions, it could be a month earlier, it could be six months earlier, helps build that, um, not the respect, but that level of trust, like the rapport. Yeah. Like you're listening to me, you're catching on things, even things that like, I'm just throwing it, like bring these things and you're bringing them back out later. So that just helps build that relationship between us to allow them to feel a lot more comfortable, which will then allow them to go deeper. Well, and it's funny because I think I'd been seeing my therapist for probably about three or four years and I see him at one o'clock on a Friday. And I would notice that on Fridays at one o'clock, about 120 or so, he would start to yawn a lot. And then he's kind of started to look like a little sleepy to me. And I started putting a filter over it from that last experience. But because I was safe enough with Dave, and I didn't handle it gracefully, but I did handle it. Um, I asked him, I was like, I, I go, what is happening right now? Am I boring you? Like, what, what is going on? I don't understand. Are you, are you falling asleep? Like what's, what's happening? And he let, he, he, he said, no, he, he had um, had lunch and he's like, you know, I'm, he goes, I'm sorry, I'm in my sixties. And I've, I've noticed that when I get older, when I eat after about an hour, after I eat, I start to get tired and that's what's happening. It doesn't have anything to do with your sessions. And he started having a, a tea before our sessions so that he wouldn't start yawning in the middle of the session. Um, but just the fact that I knew what it was, like if he does yawn now, it doesn't trigger me because I know what it is. I, it's, he's not bored with me. It has nothing to do with me. He's just reacting from having lunch. But when you have trauma brain, you apply everything to you. It's automatically always bored with me. I did something. There's something wrong. It's something with me. There are so many times where things happen. Like um, I might mess up and, and, and mess up a session or something and, and send a text to him. And it, it, it took a, a while, but you know, the first couple of years, like if he didn't respond within a certain timeline, I was like, yeah, I, I, I fucked it up. You know, I, I didn't re- react on those feelings. That's remember I told you like thoughts aren't threats, sensations aren't man- mandates to act that feelings aren't facts, that kind of thing. So I, I didn't react on those feelings, but I had them every single time. It wasn't until that that rapport was built and that like safety that I could start kind of asking. And and Dave knows me well enough now, like he'll say, he'll say things to me that call me out on something. And I'll be like, I don't like you right now. Just so you know, like we're not friends. Okay. Maybe by the end of the session, but right now things are not cool. I had three, three clients in a row yesterday flipped me off. 
They're like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, you can. You can flip me off. You can tell me you hate me. You can call me that. Whatever it is, like, I'm not going to take that personal. But because of something I said or a line of questioning that I led them to. I can see you laughing over that in your head anyway. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't even know why I talk to you. I don't even know why. So, yeah, I, I get that. That's an interesting thing, and you and you kind of of answered it there, Natalie. When when you're met with something like that, have you ever taken that personally? Like when you first started this, did you ever take that that kind of of reaction personally, where they're like, "I don't know why I'm talking to you. You are wasting my time. I'm going to flip you off. I'm going to call you this, that, or the other thing." Does that something was that something that bothered you on any level? In the beginning, yes, for sure, because I was brand new, and I'm like, I'm going to help everybody. Everybody <laughs> in here, I'm going to help them, and I'm going to fix them, and we're going to solve all the world's problems, um, and that's not how that works. So um, initially, because while you're going through um, what we call internship through the last phase of like the master's program, is you have to have supervisors. So, and you use these supervisors to ask them all sorts of questions, to make sure that you're on track with things, to make sure if anything's coming up in your body on a, on a session based on something a client says, that you're not like reacting in the session to the client because this isn't about you, this is about them. So I had to learn different boundaries that allowed me to separate it. Like, no, they can feel and believe and think anything that they want to. I do not have to take it personally. I can choose to take it personally, but if I'm taking it personally, then I'm assuming that all my clients are just here to attack me. That would make me a god-awful therapist. So I had to learn to be okay with that. Like I've had clients get up and slam out of session, like I'm never coming back, F off within a week, because they are back in session. I've had clients fire me. Weeks later, I was just mad at you. Can I come back? Absolutely. Um, I get flipped off a lot. I get told like, you are not helping me all the time, but yet they keep coming back. One, a lot of it is because they feel safe. Even though I do all my sessions virtually because all my clients are in Arizona, I'm here in Michigan. But a lot of them said like, you give me a place to feel safe. Like I can say whatever I want. You don't judge me. Or if you judge me, your face doesn't tell me you judge me. Like, I can say whatever I'm saying and you're listening to me and you're validating me and you're giving me the information. Even if I don't want to hear it or I don't want to recognize it, like you're still doing that. And so after every time that that happens, I'm like, yeah, I'm on the right track. Yeah, I'm on the right track. So that definitely helped build my own sense of confidence so that I didn't have what Joanna talked a lot about in like the third week about the imposter syndrome. Um, Like, all right, I'm educated and I know all the things, but can I really do this? Like, am I just pretending to be a therapist? Like, can I really help people? So that took a little while for that confidence to build in me. Not saying it does with every therapist, because it doesn't. But for me, it did. And the more I was able to connect with myself, my feelings, my emotions, with how I was reacting or why I was reacting to something that a client would say or do in session, Helped me learn, like, about you for making this about why are you thinking this is about you in the first place? Why is your ego so big that this client is that concerned about you 
when it wasn't. It was the total opposite. I needed to be able to, I don't want to say turn that switch off because I'm not turning it off, but I'm, it's no longer about me. It's about them being able to feel comfortable and safe enough to say whatever it is that they want to say. Providing an atmosphere of comfort, for the lack of a better term, uh, fundamentally is, I would imagine, like, if I was in a situation, and I probably should, to be perfectly honest with you, with all the amount of bullshit that I've had to go through over the, in my life over the last five, six years, I probably could, I probably could use a good um, sit down with somebody just to open up Pandora's box because I don't feel like I have that. Like, my friends will listen to me for sure. But they they have, I don't want to say a skewed version, because I feel like in my in the back of my mind, they're going to tell me whatever it is I want to hear, whether I'm right or wrong, right? Right. So being able to go into a, a situation where I have to come to the realization that I'm going to be called out on things that I may have handled wrong or said wrong or things of this nature, um, that would deter me from seeking professional help or seeking a therapist. Joanna, having that sense of comfort, and like you have you have illustrated previously. I want to say know, something first. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I will my, so my therapist very rarely, 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 rarely calls me out. What he does is ask me questions. And I end up calling myself out because I have to answer truthfully. He doesn't say like you're doing this wrong or you should do that wrong or whatever. He says he just he'll just ask me a question like, you know, well, uh, for example, um, I was saying something about and this was very early in the beginning, something about that I couldn't give myself grace for some thing. I don't know what it was. And he said, okay, well, let's, let's frame it this way. What if it was your friend, Jen, who I for years had called Dooney. So he said, what if it was Dooney? Let's say that's Dooney. That's this. And she's saying, she's coming to you and saying, I'm going through this. I'm going through this. I'm hurting this way. I'm hurting this way. What would you say to her? Would you say to her? Oh yeah, you're right. You're being a total piece of crap. You're an idiot. And I was, and I was immediately offended. I was like, of course, I would never do that. And his immediate question to me was, why does she deserve more grace than you do? Yeah. Yeah. And I did not have an answer for him. And that was one of those, I don't like you right now, just so you know. We're going to have to, I don't like this. So when that happens, do you yeah. shut down? No, not typically. Okay. I mean, I might take a minute. Like, I need a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need a minute to chew okay. on that. But usually I'm like, wow, okay, I didn't. I, now I've gotten a lot better at it. I can't. In the beginning, it probably took a little more time. Like, it might have taken me 10 or 15 minutes before I could move past that point to something else. But now I will take that and go, okay, I hear your point. Sometimes I'll try and argue my way out of it, knowing that I probably am not going to win, but I want to make sure 
that I'm not walking out of there with arguments left that I can then convince myself that week. I, you know, I would have been right if I had just said blah, blah, blah. So I let him shoot down all my arguments. I, I line them up like, like at the, the carnival with the little, you know, with the little paddle and the duck and, or whatever. And you just, and I let him shoot them all down as fast as he can. And he usually always wins the prize. He always wins the fucking prize. It's bullshit. So, and I have to just take it. And that's because I choose to do the work. That's the difference. I want to grow. I want, and the way I feel now about myself, about my problems, about my life versus how I felt nine years ago is night and day. I do not not have, I still have the same amount of problems. I still have just as complicated of a life, but how I approach those problems and look at them are night and day. And I, it took me nine years, almost 10 years to learn that. And that was me doing hard work, but it, it took my therapist being able to call me out in a way that was comfortable, right? Where I could still hear the truth without shutting down. I think the hardest one for him was when we did emotion-focused therapy, which we'll get into, Natalie, when we talk about the second part. But that was that was probably when I did the most shutting down because I had to hear things from my husband. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, I'm out on the floor. And I'm sorry, you know. So, yeah. Well, you said that this was a two-part episode here. And before we get into the second part here, is there anything that has been left unsaid or that you feel would be beneficial as we are addressing the first part of this conversation? Because I don't want any stones left unturned. You know what I'm saying? Because right, this I is do. important. This is important what about stuff. You, Matt? Um, let me see what else I put on there. Um, I guess a big, a big question. Well, oh, I have two things. Now people kind of understand the difference between therapy and counseling. So they kind of understanding, do I need therapy or do I need counseling? Yep. Can I start with one and transition to the other? Um, and knowing kind of what those, I don't want to say nuances are because they're not like I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for in my brain other than nuances kind of understanding like does this person the just, subtleties yeah do they just deal with the day-to-day stuff and a lot of that like I said you can find lists in their profile like dive deep into your family or your background or your childhood um versus like I'll help you maintain like your normal healthy balance for today help you manage your anxiety help you manage your depression um which all of those can be parts of therapy but therapy is kind of the digger deeping stuff digger deeping digger deeping yes digging deeper stuff I'm saying dig digger deeping from ever forever from now sounds good um sort of understanding that piece like, is what I'm dealing with just overall day-to-day work stress, day-to-day family stress, day-to-day raising my kids stress, a bunch of dogs or cats, whatever it is the job is. Um, why do I keep dating the same type of people? Why do I keep ending up in the same type of relationships? 
So the bigger the questions kind of shows you how much deeper you're willing to go. So mm -hmm. some is just like, I just need to manage like work-life balance. Like I'm struggling with my work-life balance. Probably a counselor is going to be better fitted for that because it's can be a lot more short term. Typically, you're not in counseling for years upon years, but you're doing you can do therapy for years upon years. Um, whereas if your bigger questions are like, why do I keep getting involved in these relationships? Relationship after relationship fails. I get cheated on. I get scammed. I get beat. Whatever it is that you're dealing with. And then a lot of times people come to the conclusion, well, it, it's it's a me problem. Like I'm the common factor in that. I'm the common denominator. So it's definitely a me problem until you come into therapy and we start digging deeper on those questions and realizing, well, yes, in the, in the immediate in today's view, it looks like it's a you problem, but look at all this stuff that's kind of created you to be the you you are today. So let's untangle all of those. Let's work through all of those so that who you are tomorrow is not who you are today. And you're able to accept what your portion of those things are, but not like the lion's share of the portion. Like everybody has their own piece. Why are you the only one that gets to carry all of that on your shoulders? Um, so that's a big, that's a big piece to kind of figure out and think about. Um, and it can be as simple as, do I go to my friends with all of my problems? A lot of times we do. But do I go to my friends with all my problems and do they help me for the most part with some of my problems? Maybe they don't give the greatest advice because they kind of know what I want them to say versus I don't want anybody to know about any of this stuff. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell my friends. I don't want to tell my partner. I don't, I don't even want to whisper it in my pet's ears because this is too much and I feel too much guilt and shame on the inside. Counselor versus therapist. That was me. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes so um, Another piece is in today's <laughs> day and age, because of the COVID virus and everything that happened in 2020, do I want to see, a, do I want to see someone in person or would I feel more comfortable or in a safer place if I'm able to do it from my own home or from my own office or what have you? And do I want to see them virtually? Um, and kind of figuring out that piece. Because for some people, they're like, nope, I need in-person. I have to have in-person because of whatever reason. And for a long time, I was that person. I'm like, I can't see clients virtually. Like, that's weird. Like, I need to see them in person. I need to be able to see all of their body language, just not their face. Like, I need to see and feel everything that's going on in the room until I realized I can do the same thing virtually. I just wasn't as confident in my virtual skills as I was in my in-person skills. I saw your face, Joanna, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say like, do, do you feel like you get as good of a connection? Cause I feel like I get a better connection in person with any therapist um, in, in the room with them just being able to see their face and maybe it's just cause you're with, you know, you're with another human being. I enjoy my virtual sessions. I have mostly vir virtual sessions, but once in a while I'll go for an in-person session and it does feel different. It definitely feels different. And for me, initially- and not I, less fulfilling, you're right. Right, like I have to see them in person in order for it to really work. Right. Um, but obviously relocating. And I initially started with a group of 
clients that I was seeing. And then when I was transitioning to like, okay, it's going to be virtual only. Like I lost, I think three people only because they were older adults and they needed to leave their house in order to be able to have session for other reasons. Right. But I also was like, okay, this is going to be weird. I'm probably going to hate it. But we've been able to continue and do the same work. Um, I wouldn't say that it, I'm able to go any deeper in person that I am virtually. Like, yeah, I would agree with that. You can do both and it feels very much the same. Except for emotion focused therapy was the one where I could say that I, I did understand why he wanted us in the room. Yeah, absolutely. But that was, you know, that's a little different. Um, but I, I have two that we didn't talk about, which is how to know when you need to fire your therapist and how to do that. Yeah. Um, because you talked about people just storming out or people like, ah, you're not even helping. That's not fire. That is firing your therapist, but it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, that's when you just get frustrated with the work and you give up or you put a stop on it or, you know, you, you run into a, a brick wall or something like that. What we're talking about is when you stop growing with your therapist or when you are not a good match with your therapist anymore. And um, sometimes that is immediate, like you have that interview or within a couple of sessions and you figure out like this, this chemistry is just not working for me. And that is okay. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It means that it, it's just not a good match. Like there's how many billion people on this planet, not everybody is going to get along. So it's okay for you to not have that connection with your therapist and to be to say, you know what, I just, it's nothing against you, full respect, but I think that I need to find somebody that I have different chemistry with. Um, but you ha don't keep going to sessions if you don't feel like you're growing. Like that's the biggest thing. If you feel like you're getting something from it, then you, you're probably still getting something from it and it's worth going. But if you're not really getting anything, if you're going in there, in there and you're chit-chatting or if you are just arguing with the therapist the whole time and it's, you know, you're, you're completely against any of the ideas that they give you, any of the um, ways that they give you to grow, like you, you're wasting their time and your own and your money. And it, you might as well just take a beat, take a step back until you're ready to go in and do it because the whole point is to go in and get somebody's professional help and assistance and then to actually take the advice. You know, that's how you grow. So um, when you're not when you're not doing that anymore and when you're not growing, that's when you move on. And then you can ask your therapist too. You can say like, I don't feel like, if you have a good therapist, they will help you find somebody new to grow with. Like Dave would do that for me in a heartbeat. If you don't have a good therapist, um, then they might they might not help you. They might just say, well, good luck to you. I hope you find somebody that works out for you. Uh, and that's when you'll go back to those resources that we've laid out for you. You know, there's other, um, a friend of mine uses Easter Seals for one of her kids for therapy. There's uh, a lot of different organizations that offer resources for them. Uh, I'm going to see if I can compile some of them and then maybe we can put them in some notes or something and put those together for people. But uh, I definitely have like the national suicide hotline and all of that stuff. I've got all that information that we can put in the notes for people as well. So I think that those are the, I think that those are the two last important topics that we needed to cover on th finding a therapist, unless you can think of anything else. That, 
just as much as you can fire your therapist. Um, your oh, therapist yes. Also fire you. Yes, yes, yes. And it sounds terrible to say it, but if I'm working with a client that has just like just depression, like major depressive disorder, they just have depression. Um, it's the chemical imbalance in their brain. Like nothing there. This is just who they are is just depression. And they are looking for somebody that offers cognitive behavioral therapy. That's not me. I'm not the one. I don't. I will do elements of CBT, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. But I don't just handle just depression. If there's depression situations because of trauma situations or other things that have happened, so we can help kind of decrease some of those symptoms, excellent. But if it is just run of the mill, depression. so I have a question. If you have a client like me who has complex trauma and then complex depression and they heal their trauma and now they're left with their depression is that when they have now moved past your services and you would graduate them to somebody who was maybe less complex who who dealt with just counseling um yeah absolutely because then i'd probably be like okay we've addressed all these things you have a good toolbox you have a bunch right. of resources you're managing things to the best of your ability now let's transition to something different and somebody else can help you manage the depression symptoms day to day, week to week, month to month. And so people know that can be really scary when your therapist brings it up. Oh, absolutely. Um, my therapist, we'll talk about it in the second session a little more, but my therapist brought it up at the beginning of my CPT courses and I freaked out. I got mad at him. I freaked out at him because of the way that he said it to me. Um, I thought that it was just like going to end. And I was like, what? you can't just leave me with no therapy. And I got really upset that like, we do 12 weeks and you kick me out. I don't understand. Um, and that's not what he meant. But, you know, it was it, your therapist is the best guide for themselves on how they can help you. Right. Like you're the best guide for how you're doing, but they also are the best guide for how they can help you, too. And if they don't feel like they can help you anymore and they respectfully come to you and say, listen, I feel like we've we've maxed out our tools here and I've given you everything that I know and you're using them and you're doing them. And I'm, I'm really, you know, you're doing great and I'm proud of you, but I don't feel like I am the person for you anymore and we need to move on to something else. It's not where you that's not where you need to take offense. Um, you can have your feelings about it. But then t step back, take a minute. Like I, I took a beat and then I came back to him. We had to talk about it. And I was like, it was the way that you said it was just took me off, you know, and totally explained it to him. And we were fine. And we went on and did our sessions and everything was great. And I hopefully will be graduating from my therapy within the next like six months or so. So which after nine years is amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge for us because a lot of times we're like, well, I can't just fire a client. They can't just fire a client. But if like we know we are yeah. not going to be able to help you in this next phase, or we are going to do you a disservice or right for our head because we were so excited about all the things you came to us with. Like we need to figure that out. So the A, we don't ever do that again. But then B, how can I now have that conversation with the client who maybe already has some abandonment issues, some rejection issues some whatever issues so that it comes out in a way that's not like 
okay, thank you so much, but we're breaking up now because then that's just going to unleash a whole bunch of other feelings. So being able to have, and it's an individually based, obviously, conversation because it's not cookie cutter with everybody. I can't tell the same thing to everybody and get the same exact result because, hello, everybody's their own person. But being able to make sure that I'm doing the very best that I can for them and then recognizing, okay, now this is above my scope or beyond my scope um, of services because now if I'm treating you on something let's say anything, anything personality disorder related or anything um, of that nature where it's like, I know a little bit, but I don't know enough to help you really deal with some of the elements of your diagnosed personality disorder. So for me to continue to help you, I'm just hoping for a lawsuit because now I'm not doing what's best for you. I'm thinking, well, this is going to be fascinating for me. If that wants something fascinating, I better take a class. I better not experiment on clients because I am not trying to get sued and lose my license. But being able to say that's beyond my scope. Like I don't, I have limited knowledge in that area. I'm not going to be the best for you. However, comma, here are three, four, 10 people that I know that are in your area that really do focus on this. Look, they take your insurance meet with them for consultations, find the best fit for you, and we will slowly transition. Like, I'm not cutting you off. Today's not our final session. Like, right. I want you to feel comfortable, have a couple sessions with them, feel comfortable as then we slowly kind of close our work out while you're opening up your work with them. Because that's super huge, super huge. Right. And the ultimate goal of every therapist, every therapist is ultimately trying to get rid of their clients. That's what people should be yeah. aware of is that that is, that is their dream is that they work themselves out of business because they've healed everybody. That's why they get into it. I've heard this from so many there. I have a lot of friends who are therapists in, in one way or another. And they're all like, they all got into the same way when you said in the beginning, like, I'm, it's going to be magic. I'm going to heal everybody. It's going to be so fantastic. Oh my God. Be great. Yeah. A lot right. of, Feeling at this every day. Clients are crying more. I, what did I do wrong? <laughs> um, when in reality, I've come to accept that it's, it's just my superpower. <laughs> so I relish in that. And when they're like, I'm not crying today in session and something happens and they cry, I'm like, just reminding you that's my superpower. And then I get flipped off and I'm like, I know, I know. Yep. yep person yeah i don't know why you talk to me every week i don't know either do i have any that i can do it for next week um and another kind of piece that also ties into finding a therapist researching the therapist reaching out to the therapist whether you go with them whether you fire them is all of that that you're dealing with is like i don't even know what the word is because that's like a giant chunk, like a giant, I don't even want to call it a cherry because it's not a cherry, but if it was like a 12 pound cherry on top of like everything else that you are managing and dealing with in your life. Yeah, it's a giant shit ball on top of it. Yeah, family issues, children issues, working all the other stuff and you're like, great, now I have to do this shit too. Mm -hmm. As if I don't already have enough on my plate. And you can't fall apart for the other stuff. So that's the thing that could break you. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. What I loved most about Arizona, um, and when I came here, I tried to find the same thing, and Michigan doesn't have it. Um, but I was part of a listserv, so like an email listing group. Um, and on this listserv, it encompassed every psychiatrist, um, nurse practitioner, psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, individual therapists, every single one of us in the entirety of Southern Arizona. So all we have to do, client reach out and be like, hey, I'm looking for such and such. And I'm like, maybe at the time, like, I don't have any um, availability right now. I'll have availability in a couple months, whatever the case is. However, I realize that's long ways to wait. So I can help you find someone. I just need to know, are you going to be insurance or self-pay? What is the overall gist of the issues that you want to work on? Are you looking for in-person or is virtual okay? Do you prefer a male or female? Once they tell me that, I send an email blast to all 500 and some odd practitioners that work in the entirety of Southern Arizona. And I just wait for them to email back. Hey, I've got openings. Hey, I've got openings. Hey, I do this. Hey, I, and then I just forward all of those to that potential client. Because then instead of looking at a list of like, a million options and are they going to take my inch all the questions that we want to ask it feels impossible it feels so daunting which is why people are like fuck it i'm not doing it it's too much it's too hard mm-hmm. with arizona we were able to kind of bridge that gap and i do that for everybody when they reach out i'm like give me your email if you feel comfortable if not i'll just copy and paste it into text message if they're texting me and I'll send them all the referrals. And I'm like, if you none of them work for you, reach back out to me, let me know, and I'll get you in for a consultation and see if I could be a good fit for you. Um, and we have like two separate Facebook groups. So one's for like the northern part of Arizona and the other's for the southern part of Arizona. Does the same thing. I go in and I post it in our northern Arizona parts for the people that I see that are in northern Arizona to do the same thing moved here to Michigan and I've reached out like hey you guys have a listserv like how do people find people and they're like Google but like like that's a great idea and I'm like hey, but I don't have time to create them I don't because that's a whole separate job of trying to create that and maintaining that but that makes it so much easier for the clients because then it takes out all the guesswork instead of looking there's 27 different options here in Royal Oaks, and I just got to start emailing. Okay, so some listener out there now needs to create this site. That's, do you hear that? We need that. There are least- listener. I'm but on it. It's much more helpful because if you're looking at a list of 27 options from the Google and like nobody's getting back to you, but you email, and I'm like, hey, I got you. I'll find you people. I know for a fact these people are going to reply because all of them sent me an email saying, I'm accepting right now. Here's my name. Here's my information. Boom. So they're able to connect within a day or two versus waiting weeks for phone calls or emails to come back. Um, Because you're already carrying around so much on the inside. You already feel, like you said earlier, Joanna, like it's a weakness. I can't fix it myself, so I'm feeling weak by reaching out. Where just like you said, we we see that as a huge strength. So I'm always like, thank you so much for reaching out. I can't imagine what it took for you to get here, but I'm happier here. Yeah. How can I help? 
Um, and yeah, we don't believe you at first. Yeah, like, you have to say that. I paid you to say <laughs> that. Not like you say that, you say that to everybody, or you have to say that, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could say that to everybody, but I don't, because not everybody's in the same boat as everybody else. So it really depends. Right. Um, but yeah, like carrying all that guilt and shame, carrying all that negative self-belief and already assuming that the world is against you. And now I'm reaching out to therapists and they're not even contacting me back. Like these are supposed to be the helper people. Why are they not helping me? They probably heard about me first and this is why they're not calling me. They know somebody told them, somebody told them about me. I'm on a list somewhere. And I, that sometimes that's ego. Like, do you think that you are so important? To oh my God. I have such a huge ego. Uh, it's a problem. That we all sit around and talk about you. Yeah. It's a problem. I don't recognize that it's ego, but yeah, I, I do have an ego problem. And I took me a long time to recognize it because I like, I, I don't think good. I don't think that about myself. What are you talking about? But it wasn't until like two, maybe two years ago that I was like, oh, I have a huge ego problem. Oh, my God. And I'm vain and needy. Oh, and you ugh. recognize it. And you're like, you know, what? this is my superpower. My superpower. Yeah. <laughs> I went and found a shirt that says phenomenal woman. And I just wear that around. I wore it on the last podcast. And then Jason had a shirt on that said the icon with his, his head for the, <laughs> Oh, so we look like the most egotistical people possible. <laughs> I love that though. I, love I know. That. And we don't care. We're just fine. So, all right. Do we have anything else that we need to, any other topics we need to address? And we got that one. Looking at all the questions I wrote down to make sure we covered it all. Um, oh, what do you ask to interview your counselor or your therapist? What's that? Like questions for you to yes. interview. Yes. That's a good, okay. That's good. So what questions do you ask your therapist? Yes. For me, trying to think what questions might some of my clients have asked some will be like um well what kind like how does therapy work with you how does therapy work i always ask can i swear some when i give my like overall little spiel because i'll say okay well, you know thank you so much for the consultation is one so you can get to know a little bit more about me so i get to know a little bit more about you and then kind of look at what the overall issues and concerns are that you want to work on so then I'll typically go first. So then I can say, and I like to blame it on the military, but really I just like to swear. So I can't have a potty mouth. I can use grown up words. I know how to use grown up words. Sometimes why? So some will be like, oh, shit, yes, thank God. Or like, oh my God, okay, that makes me feel so much better because the last therapist I saw, or like the last person I saw, like I, like I couldn't, like it looked like it pained them when I swore, and I'm like, I get it, I get it, like I'm here meeting you where you're at. Um, so definitely, I let them know up front, like it's okay to swear, it's okay to swear. Um, what kind of therapy, like what does therapy look like with me? Yeah. Um, I give homework. Um, yeah. And homework look like 
because homework for each therapist is very different. Some will just give like worksheets or like here, buy this workbook and we're going to go week by week, every chapter by chapter in this workbook. Um, some will ask just like general questions like, what are your hours? Um, what are some other bigger ones that they've asked? Have you worked with my kind of issues before? Mm -hmm. um, do you feel comfortable working with these kind of issues? Um, whatever the issues are. Um, how would you, how long do you think I'll be in therapy? <laughs> and that one's a tough one because there's, there's no definitive answer. I know. I talked about this on another one. I'm like, we trauma, we like, we like specifics. Give me a date. Tell me how long we like yeah. specifics. We want to know. I have to remind them like, well, how long ago did you first notice that you had this issue? And some will be like, oh, my whole life. Some will be like six years. Some, you know, whatever the answer is. I'll say, well, I can promise you, you won't be with me for your whole life. But it took you a long time to build up all of these things to get to this point. So it's going to take us some time to undo all of those things. That's, um, I've heard that. Ask like, is is this gonna suck? Because I've heard it's gonna suck. Yeah. I'm like, well, it depends on what your definition of suck is. Is it gonna be hard? Yes, absolutely. It can most definitely be. Is it gonna be difficult? Yes. Will you want to quit? Yes. Will you cry? Maybe. I don't know what your emotional capacity is like. Will I give up at some point? Maybe. Again, I don't know. A lot of it depends on your willingness to do the work, mm -hmm. your commitment to your. <laughs> a lot of times, people, well, I'm here for my wife, or I'm here for my husband, or I'm here for my kids. So I have to constantly remind them, like, that's what got you here. But what's going to get you to go the distance is you doing it for you. You can't right. do anything else but you. They will all reap the reward. But ultimately, you have to do this for you. Um, right. So there's that. Others will ask, can my mom join? Can my dad, my brother, my cat, my husband, my kids, whatever, join? Um, and depending on the circumstances, the answer could be maybe. Because it really depends on, okay, what are we talking about? Why do they want to join? What are they hoping to get out of this? What are you hoping to happen? Because this isn't going to turn into, okay, now... My mom's here, so now we're going to start family sessions. It doesn't work like that. Once I build a rapport with one client, we can't add more family members into the mix. One, not because I can't separate them, because I can separate all the relationships in my But it's more for that third person that's in. Because for them, they may think, well, they already have a, like, I'll use just Joanne and Keith for an example. Well, she already has a rapport with Natalie. So if I go in there, she's just going to take Joanne aside. That's not going to be good for me. That's not going to be, they're, they're going to just gonna gang up on me. Um, or that third person wants to go in and point out all the things that maybe Joanna's lying about to convince the therapist to be on their side. Can't play those games. Can't play that. Um, so if it's like, okay, I want to now transition to couples therapy or family therapy or whatever the case is, great. I can give you some referrals. Um, I can't start seeing you as an individual and add more people. 
if I start seeing you as a as a couple or as a family, that's different. Because my training is in, well, my training obviously is in counseling psychology, but my emphasis is marriage and family. So having different levels of educational classes and then trainings that you go through to where, okay, now, for example, I'm seeing Joanna and Kate, they come in for their intake together. We're going to work on their couple's issues related together. But then I also set up individual one-on-one -on -one appointments if they feel comfortable with that. I remind them of individual confidentiality. I remind them I'm not going to secret keep, but I'm also not going to fill the secret. Um, because Keith is going to bring his own stuff into the just as much as Joanna's bringing her own stuff into the relationship. So I can work on all three relationships simultaneously. And one, not to get them confused in my head, which I would love to say is superpower, and maybe it is, but like a lot of marriage and family therapists can do. Um, but then two, I can see the entirety of the picture that I can't see if I'm seeing client A, but then their spouse is with another therapist and they see yet another therapist for couples work. So then it's like, now we have too many cooks in the kitchen, but none of the cooks are talking to each other. So the daily special keeps getting through, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. That was that was as perfect of a way to to lay that out. I mean, anybody that doesn't understand that analogy. Well, and our therapies did a little differently though. My my therapist is our couples therapist, but oh. he, yeah, but he um did the whole like just so you know, there won't be any secret keeping. Keith, do you feel comfortable? Are you sure? You know, like we had to we had to interview with him as a couple. To make sure would it work yeah we so yeah and he had he had to decide that that was comfortable for him absolutely our therapist did our my counselor had to our therapist did it had to be comfortable for all of us and it were ended up working out okay but honestly there were things that my husband did not just didn't delve into because he did i think that just the comfort level wasn't there you know that so I don't know. We're gonna head back and try again. It's not like it's not easy. It's just it's not, not easy. no. And nope. sometimes it can be easier, like when a couple goes to therapy, one person already has the feeling of like, well, it's all my fault that we're here. Like I'm the reason that we're here. Like I'm the shit show that we're here. And then which allows the other person to be like, yeah, I'm just here supporting them. Like, I'm, I really don't have any shit in the show. I'm just supporting them. When really, it takes two people. It takes yeah. two people. Yeah. Um, so it's, it can be a little bit trickier, which then requires a little bit more, could require a little bit more one-on-one -on -one to be like, okay, why do you feel that, like, your spouse is, like, the problem in the relationship? Do you not bring any issues to the relationship? Once we have that rapport. Because then I'm like, oh, what about this? What about this? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I guess I, I do some of those. And I'm like, and those aren't an issue? I don't, I don't think that they are. But what has your spouse said? Well, my spouse said they're an issue. I, well, you may not think that they're an issue, but they think they're an issue, which makes it an issue. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's. 
some of the, I feel like there's probably so many other things. Um, what are some, for you going to meet like a new therapist, like what are some things that are important for you to want to know for you to be able to work with them, Joanna? Well, again, swearing, number one. <coughs> got it. We got to, we got to make sure that happens. Um, as long as, for me, it's always been about, can I afford them? Can I, we, we share a car, my husband and I do. So can I get to my appointments? Do they do virtual? Will they insist on in, in person? Some do. Um, and then at once I've gotten over all of those hurdles, it's all about just the rapport, just the camaraderie. If we have a connection and I feel like they're challenging me somehow, that for me is really important. I need to be challenged by my therapist. I don't want to go in there and just, I actually get frustrated if I go into a therapy session and it ends up being just like we kind of chatted, um, which happens a little more now as we're getting towards the end, you know, and I'm like, I still have stuff. Like there's still stuff that I need to get worked on. And time. so um, I think that that for me is, the biggest thing is just making sure that I feel like I'm still growing and progressing somehow. Doesn't have to be huge leaps and bounds. I don't have to, you know, be constantly growing, constantly changing. And that's the other thing too, is like when you get into this kind of therapy, cause I did, I did a, I will talk about it a little bit more in the next part, but I did a, an outpatient procedure or a program that I created myself where I did DBT, EFT, uh, CBT and EMDR all at the same time. And they were with different providers and one was at U of M and one was at renewed hope. And then one was at the trauma center. And then I had them connect, you know, I was like connecting them together and then making sure that I was holding myself accountable more than them doing it because they didn't really communicate a whole lot, but I was so invested in my own recovery that it worked. Um, it probably wouldn't work for somebody who wasn't like really invested in their recovery and were really weren't willing to do the work. I, I did a lot of, uh, just like I said, self-accountability and um, making sure that I did things even when they felt uncomfortable and I didn't want to. Yeah, absolutely. And I have had some clients ask me, um, they asked me or have I asked them, maybe I've asked them, what type of therapist do you need me to be? And I've had some that'll say, I need to be challenged. Like I need yeah. to be challenged. I need you to call me out. I need to know that what, like the decisions I'm making, the decisions I'm making or whatever I'm like, I need to know that they're wrong. And then right. I'll like, well, there's not necessarily right or wrong. There's healthy versus unhealthy. I'll so bet you those are trauma people. You want me to make sure that you're making the healthiest choices for yourself by pointing no, out. Tell me I'm doing it right, Natalie. I so, want you to tell me I'm doing it right. That's why I'm here. I'm like, I, I feel that and I'm I'm not going to. <laughs> yes, that's happened to me. And I'm like, what yep. am I paying for? <laughs> I've had other people that they're Listen. like, I need, I like, I kind of need my handheld. I kind of need to be cobbled a little bit. If you're going to challenge me, please do it very gently. And I'm like, okay. And they've asked, like, can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, I can absolutely do that. I have to. Like, Will I? <laughs> it's like, 
okay, I'm with Joanna. She needs me to be on it. Okay, now I'm with Jason. He needs me to be a little bit more gentle. Eventually, I'm going to be on it with that person. They just don't know when. But I will give you what you need and so that you're feeling more comfortable. Because then the more you're able to start calling yourself out, essentially, the easier it is for me to keep doing my job um, versus constantly calling you out. So it's like, but I'm able to ebb and flow and make it work. Like I'm a chameleon is what I tell my clients. Like I'm a chameleon. Whatever it is you need me to be, I can be within my scope of practice. And I think I've only had. Well, that camouflage work give numbers based off of just my private practice um, when I've been in it solely. I think out of the hundreds of consultations that I've done, three, maybe four people where I'm like, yeah, I'm not a fit for your needs. Um, or they're like, yeah, I have a few uh, consultations that I'm doing, so I'll let you know. So for me, I'm like, okay, they felt it too. Um, where if like, I'm the only one and I know that I'm not going to be most beneficial, then I'll let them know. I'll be like, you know, I get, I thank them so much for reaching out. I do know of some people that are probably going to be a better fit for you. Not saying that we couldn't get the job done, but it might take a lot longer than what you're looking for. Whereas these other people, like this is where they're honed in. This is their exact specialty. Let me get you their numbers. Um, which is a heck of a lot easier because A, I know those people are going to call them back because they already know what their specialty is. And B, I'm not like, you know, I'm not working with you because that's just rude. Why would I ever tell that to someone? But I already know, like, I'm not going to be the best fit for you or you're not going to be the best fit for what I can do with you. Um, so other than that, like every client that I've met with, they're like, okay, great. When can we start? And I'm like, well, I never say I have a waiting list because I don't create a waiting list, but I do let them know, like, it's probably going to be a month before I can get you in for the intake. Here's some material in the meantime. Are you open? Do you like books? Do you like paperwork? Do you like podcasts? Do you, what do you like? What's going to help you? And a lot of times people are like, I don't read. And I'm like, podcast it is. So then I have to research a bunch of podcasts and be like, I don't know if any of these are going to be helpful. Check them out and see if they're going to be helpful. Because I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. You're like, um, it just so happens I created a podcast. Right now. It's a very oh, situation. Thanks. Um, so that's that helps people. And then once I do start with them, I'm like, okay, it's gonna take me a little bit before I can get you on like a lot of people like the same time, same day, same time frame. Um, and sometimes work perfectly, and sometimes it can't until I'll be like, okay, it might take three or four or five sessions before I can get you like into your home spot. Yep. Um, but then once we start going to like every other week or every month, um, very rarely at the client's request do we do that. But when we start to do that, then it allows them to have a little bit more spacing. So then I have more flexibility to put different people into more time slots. But right. That's just a scheduling thing. It's just a scheduling. Um, so yeah, I think we covered everything we wanted to cover this podcast. It was a lot. Well, this this portion of it, we're still going to talk about the types of therapy that there are. 
We don't have to get into each one because we're going to do a, I just want to touch on, and I actually think it'll be a much shorter because we're just going to touch on what they are about. And then I want to do a podcast for EMDR. I want to do a podcast for DBT. I want to do a podcast for CBT where we can delve into it and give people more resources. Perfect. I like it. I like it. So, Joanna, what kind of, um, I guess, I mean, aside, a novice, obviously, when I hear therapy, you think of marriage therapy, you think of drug and alcohol, you know, dependency therapy, things of right. this nature. Those are two probably the most common that I've heard or that I have had, or I know people who have had experience in, but right. they go, but there's a hell of a lot more than that, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I started <clears throat> with cognitive behavioral therapy and I didn't know that's what it was. I went in for what I thought was just talk therapy. Um, I did not know when I started with therapy that what I needed was a, somebody who specialized in trauma. So I just, you know, like I said, through the, through the dart at the bull, at uh, the dartboard and hope that I hit somebody, Dave happens to have a lot of experience in trauma. So when I got finally got in with Dave, he was able to help me a lot. But Dave started with, he couldn't do anything with trauma. You could, he couldn't even touch it until we could get my nervous system calm and I could learn how to set some boundaries and accept some boundaries. And at that point, I wasn't even at a place where I could tell my mother to please stop sending me political emails. I lost my mind, started crying because I just knew the result of what would happen from asking for that kind of boundary um, because of the volatility of our relationship. So it, I was so terrified of setting any kind of boundary that I fell apart. It took literally, I think probably six months before I even was like, okay, maybe I could do this. And then I, I took a set a boundary with her. And then it was like two years later, um, I ended up cutting her off because she wouldn't stop sending me the political emails. Um, but if Dave hadn't started me with that cognitive behavioral therapy, I wouldn't have been able. And cognitive behavioral therapy is where you're learning just like you're taking things to court. You're saying like, I'm the worst person in the world. And he's like, OK, let's go to court and prove you're the worst person in the world. There's a there's a prosecution and a defense. You've got to go to the prosecution. You've got to prove you are the worst person in the world. Lay it out. Now you've got to defend yourself. You've got to defend why you're not the worst person in the world. Let's lay it out. And you have to be honest. And this is, again, where we get back into, like, you have to do the work. But that's the basics of it. Like, doing that kind of thing. Mindfulness, uh, uh, you know, um, finding that one, the rational brain versus the emotional brain and kind of crossing them over into wise mind. Um, that's all cognitive behavioral therapy, that kind of stuff that we'll touch on when we do the podcast. But it's, it's, a, it's a way of re- directing your thinking that I had never experienced before because I had never been taught it. Um, and then from there I went, he took, he directed me to, we tried uh, exposure therapy, um, which I talked about in my first podcast, which was just a, oh, such a dumpster fire of a mess. Um, and that's where you basically list out, you talk about the experience you had in the first person as though it is happening to you at that time and you record it 
and then you listen to it over and over like an exposure, you know, like people who are alert or who are scared of spiders and they expose themselves to spiders. People who are, um, you know, afraid of crowds and they go out into crowds. Like it's the kind, same kind of premise. It did not work for me, but it does work for a lot of people. And that's from there. He sent me to EMDR therapy, which is um, what Natalie wanted to touch more on. That's the eye movement desensitization reprogramming. Um, and that was created by Francine Shapiro in 1987. And she, she discovered it by accident. She happened to be walking and she was very distressed by something and she, her eyes were moving quickly back and forth as she was thinking about something distressful and she realized that it alleviated her discomfort. And she started doing research from there and then found out that um, by stimulating both sides of the brain, basically left and right, left and right, left and right, we can reprogram how we interpret sensations, thoughts, and memories, and then reintake them into our bodies so they are no longer in that fight or flight, like we talked about it before, where you pro, you know, you store those trauma memories in the short term. This allows you to reprogram them in a different way. There's lots of ways to do EMDR. Um, in the meantime, I've also done dialectical behavioral therapy. And that's where I have my book back here, but that's where uh, it, you have there's four different parts of it and it's it's things about like distress tolerance and mindfulness and emotion regulation and interpersonal um, communication and it's it's just making sure that you have a solid foothold honestly in the basics that you should have learned in kindergarten it, we should be taught them in kindergarten it's about learning what your emotions are how to re recognize them um, how to process them how to not act on them and how to respect other people while they're having their own life experiences. That's kind of what dialectical behavioral therapy, that's what I got out of it. Um, that's my, in a nutshell, experience with therapy. There are a bunch of others, you know, the ART, there's all kinds of, oh no, and then I did emotion-focused therapy with Keith, which is where um, you will go with someone that you want to connect with emotionally, and you sit there and, and you'll talk about an experience and then the other person gets to talk about how hearing you talk about that made them feel and what feelings that connects with. And you got to listen to it. And then you get to respond back. But you got to shut up the whole fucking time. You can't say anything, which is so hard. It's so hard. So um, for Keith, not me, I was fine. So uh, you just have to listen to that person give their assessment of the situation and then you take take that in and then you respond um beyond that i know that there are other types of there are other modalities there are other types of therapies but those are the ones that i dealt with that helped me the most um and the ones that i would i wished i had done earlier especially the dialectical behavioral therapy and the EMDR, those two, if I'd have found those 20 years earlier, I would have had a completely different life. Uh -huh. I, I I know that. I remember being in it and being like, what? Like my brain literally exploding, like, why didn't I learn this? I had to put it on mute at one point because I was just screaming like, why didn't I learn this before? No, do I? And it's, it's stuff that people who have emotionally regulated, grounded parents who and, and caregivers and people in their lives who um, are able to teach them those things and translate that well, you learn that. But I did not have that. I had some of it, like some of some people around me, my grandparents a little bit were, were pretty helpful, but um, 
Yeah. So that's, that's been my experiences with it. Natalie, what else, what other therapies are there that you, well, actually, I know you want to talk about EMDR. Because oh, you do that talk, a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that more in the. In yeah, the, we will. We'll do a whole. Be fine. We'll do a whole podcast on it. But is there anything else you want to say about it? Um, it's really for trauma. I mean, it's not, originally it was created for trauma, 100%. Right. Um, however, it's been able to kind of the protocol that we use with the MDR can be adapted. So it can be used for any kind of anxieties, panic attacks, um, depression. Oh, okay. It can be used like for so many other different things other than just what it was created for. Rocky, I'm busy. You do a podcast. The dog needed to come and get some pets. Now he left. Um, he likes, he likes therapy. Um, so because of that, it's been able to be a lot more helpful. The biggest thing with EMDR, um, and I know Joanna kind of mentioned like big T versus little T, um, and like with the small traumas or like kind of more day-to-day type of things, they can like stress, um, it can be prolonged emotional, um, abuse, it can be neglect, it could be things of that nature where you don't necessarily have a singular um, visual target that you can access in your brain. Right. Sometimes you can, sometimes you don't. It's just a lot of motions, um, which we've also been able to kind of adapt EMDR to not just target just one negative event in your brain, because if you can't see the picture in the past, well, we couldn't help you. Right. Or now, if you can feel it in your body, you get that visceral reaction in your body, we target that in your body, EMDR can still work the same way. Right. Um, so it's helping your body sense. and your brain reprocess things in a different way. Right. Where your brain logically knows you're not in danger, your body yes. acts like you're in danger. So through the reprocessing, it allows your brain and your body to start communicating with each other. So your brain can tell your body what it already knows, but now your body actually starts to believe your brain. Um, so then once you start the session, you're in panic, freeze mode, fight or flight mode, like you're just freaking out within 10 minutes, like your central nervous system is slowly calming itself right. as the memory is being reprocessed. Doesn't mean the memory is going away. Like it doesn't go away. It just doesn't disappear. But how you now react and respond and feel about that memory is completely different than it was before, um, which is why I love it. And I love that it's been able to be adapted in so many different ways. Um, right. So that's a big piece about it that I absolutely love. Um, you did mention the trauma focused CBT, which is huge. Um, the CBT. Oh, I forgot about CPT because yeah. I did CPT therapy too. Yeah. Cognitive processing therapy. Yeah. There's cognitive behavioral and I did cognitive processing, but that one's different. Yeah. And it's, and it goes based off of like a 12 session program. Like you're following Correct. a specific, you're following a, a, a checklist, if you will, of like specific parameters of things that you're doing within these 12 sessions. For well, it's like a curriculum almost that you follow. Yeah. And but that was where my therapist had said, like, you know, at the end of this 12 weeks, like the, the goal is that we end therapy. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? What, what, you know, and I did what, 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 that kind of noise. And uh, it was I sounded like I was laying an egg. It was not good. But um, 
it, it was one of those moments where I had to get myself out of my feelings and go back to, okay, wait a minute, go back to all your work and let's talk about what are we actually talking about? And my CPT is actually ongoing. We did a 12 week process of it. I have my app that I told you about that I love and also sucks. Um, the cognitive processing therapy app or whatever it is. But, um, after that 12 weeks, we've then taken other trauma focal points and I'm going to rewrite another impact statement actually. And we're going to kind of, instead of doing a whole 12 week on it, we're just going to kind of go right to, I already know how to write stuck points. Let's start doing challenging belief worksheets. Um, and so we'll extend it beyond the 12 weeks without terminating my therapy. But we did not go back to one of the things that we found, which I did not know this. And I'm glad I didn't know it prior to CPT because I wouldn't have done it. And the CPT was so life-changing, but we have not gone back to any kind of other type of therapy, counseling, or talk because it they, they found it to be detrimental. Once you do CPT, you kind of have to stay in that for at least those. If it's a new problem, then you can you can go into a new, to, but this is all the same shit I've been dealing with for the last nine years. So um, we're staying in the CPT mode, which I don't do counseling with him now because I had moved out of therapy and he was my counselor and I don't do counseling. I do the cognitive processing therapy. Um, and if I go to a session where I don't have any worksheets or anything, it's basically like, uh, okay, well, we'll see you next time. I mean, there's nothing I have to hold myself accountable or there's nothing for us to work on. And that's the biggest part with cognitive processing therapy that I think is different than every other is if I do not hold myself accountable and do the work, there literally is nothing to work on and build on for the next week. And that's different from every other type of therapy I've done. Some people are totally able to do it and some people are not able to do it. If you like homework, CPT is for you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I like homework. So CPT was, was good for me, but not everybody likes homework. So it might not be for you, but it was super beneficial. I mean, there's other ways to get around it where you don't have to do necessarily as much of the homework as I did, but you can still get the benefits out of it. But um, you still have to do some of it. Yeah. But Absolutely. what else besides those types of therapies are you familiar with that are beneficial? And you had mentioned mindfulness. Mindfulness is huge. Allowing yeah. kind of learn different techniques to breathe and kind of calm down that symp sympathetic nervous system. Um, and I really like somatic experiencing therapy and it's done okay. again by a specialized practitioner that has all the training and the education in it. That's helping like you connect to your emotions and your feelings inside of your body instead of um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Begins with a D disassociating from them uh, where it's like, Oh, something's scaring me. So now I need to shut that down completely and ignore it. Like it allows you to kind of get in touch with those feelings and emotions and helping you kind of calm yourself down. Is that inner child work? Um, no, it's, that's kind of separate from it. Okay. So, Cause I've done that, but it's not, not as a course. Right. And it's, like, I wish I could speak on it more eloquently, but uh, I cannot. A couple of my supervisees were also getting trained in this type of therapy before, um, but just kind of reconnecting to your emotions inside of your body. Um, right. Instead of kind of just 
because a lot of people just feel numb and they've just been yeah numb. body feeling right now let's connect to those emotions in your body and once we do that okay now we can actually do some work um so that's a big one and then a lot of times um people will also go through like acceptance and commitment therapy um to kind of help better understand their roles and things but then how to recommit to things um, and that can be done more as um, a couple, but it can also be done as an individual. That again, all of these are different type of therapies that help with trauma specifically. Not that they only work with trauma, like they can work with other things, except right. for maybe PET, like prolonged exposure therapy really is only for trauma. Right. Uh, and some of them, some people can 100% tolerate and do, and some of them, some people cannot. Right. Uh, yeah. So finding out what works best for the client and then helping them then find that person that's going to be the best work for them. Right. And as, as a client, it's important that you not get discouraged and give up because one type of therapy didn't work for you. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means it didn't work for you. That there are so many different types of therapy out there, therapies out there, and our brains work differently. So some of us, you know, are more visual learners. Some of us are more auditory learners. Some of us need to connect with our bodies in different ways. Um, some of us need meditation and yoga more. Some of us are better at journaling. It just depends. You're going to find all kinds of different ways that are going to help you um, augment your therapy experience, but also find ways that therapies that are going to work for you are not going to work for other people. And other people are going to rave about therapies. You're going to be like, I tried that. And I, it was great. It didn't work for me at all. Or, you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't speak anything about who you are or anything about your value or your worth or your capabilities or anything like that, which it took me a long time to learn, like that it wasn't that I was doing it wrong or I was failing, that I should be able to do it. You know, you got to drop the shoulds and the can't, the, the, um, you know, the need to's and the have to's and all of those things and just kind of your stories and assumptions and just give it a chance. Yes. Yeah. As we uh, come up to the uh, two hour mark here on this show, I mean, that was a fast two hours. Yeah. If you guys have some sort of resources or some sort of sites that we can put in the description that people can go to if they are in the process of looking for some sort of, of professional help or therapy or a counselor of that nature, uh, send that over to me. We will put that in, in, in the links in the description of the show and as the show gets dropped. Uh, because this is... You start talking about the different kind of therapies, and I mean each 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 different one could take up its own episode here, right? So oh, easily. Well, that's kind so, of the point that we we're going to do that is that we will take an episode to explain a lot of these. We won't get to every single therapy that's out there, but we'll get to a lot of them. I've I mean I've definitely done a lot of them, so we can at least discuss those. Right. Well, this was a this was a very good conversation here. And uh, always a pleasure to sit down and talk with both of you ladies. And I'm sure your listeners are going to be very beneficial for a lot of the information that, that was talked about here this week. Um, if they stuck as, with us this long, we appreciate it. What's that? I said, if they stuck with us this long, we appreciate it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Hey, let, let, 
the numbers don't lie. This tells me that this is resonating. Uh, a lot to unpack here, and we're looking forward to getting deeper into this in the coming weeks here. But if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything of the sort, I encourage you, we encourage you to go check out the Facebook page. Look for Shh, we don't talk about that. They're very active on that page there. Send them a DM, send them a comment. They will respond with you accordingly. And uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and put a bow on this week's episode. We appreciate you all for tuning in. And for Natalie George and for Joanna Barnes, I'm Jason Klaus. We appreciate you all, and we'll see you next time right here on Shh, We Don't Talk About That, here on the PFC Entertainment Network.